that you've all come and that you made it through so much snow and with such a such a determined effort to clear a driveway to get here there's a kind of a like a, a deep sense of rejoicing to know that it's so important for people to come that they make that kind of an effort it's, it's just awesome there's a feeling of like oh yes it's working <laughs> it's working yeah. So we're in the middle of talking about this whole path of breaking the cycle of suffering. And um, we've been starting with the, 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 the practice of looking at contact and feeling and understanding how these, the contact that we have when we experience uh, um, sense contact gives rise to the feeling qualities of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And we can notice that when we like something, that we have a movement towards it. When we don't like something, we can feel like a pushing away, and that we're neutral, we can space out. So let me just pause on looking at that and come to a, a, bit, a bit of a bigger picture, and then we'll go back in. I don't know if um, any of you are on the, on the um, Facebook group. But on the Facebook group, I posted a picture of me and a picture of the Wheel of Life, which has the Lord of Death that's holding this big wheel. And on the outer wheel is this 12 links of dependent origination. And then the next wheel, next inner wheel, are all the six realms. And for most of us, we spend our life kind of hoping for that which is pleasant and beautiful and nice and lovely and beautiful feelings and nice um, nice connection and good opportunities and good adventures and healthy relationships and wholesome opportunities. And so in some ways, what we're actually looking for is heaven. And, and in the Buddhist way of looking at that, heaven has two qualities to it. One is the psychological world of the positive mind states that are filled with, with joy and love and light and goodness and a sense of ease and well-being and a lack it's characterized by a lack of suffering. In the classical and the traditional way of looking at it, heaven is not just a psychological state, but it's actually a destination where people can be reborn into in the same way that the human realm and the animal realm and the hungry ghost realm and the, and the, um, the, the, the warring god realm is not only just a depiction of psychological mind states, but it's also in, in classic and traditional Buddhist language or literature destinations that can are, are, are destinations that people arrive at after they move from one life to another. And so that whole map, when you look at it in a bigger picture, it's really clear that the Buddha was not teaching us to try and get to heaven. The Buddha was teaching us to try and move out of this entire wheel where we're not just wanting to have pleasant experiences, 
but we're wanting to actually understand the complete ending of all suffering. Because even if we experience um, uh, heavenly states of mind, or for those beings that are born into heavenly realms, it's still not a permanent place of non-suffering. When the karma finishes for being in that psychological state, or when it finishes for being in that, that rebirth, then there's a new rebirth. And what the new rebirth is, is entirely dependent on the karma of what has preceded it. And so we cycle through these different realms. Now, for Western people who are not coming into this world with an understanding of rebirth as an actual destination, that can be a little bit like, it doesn't feel right. It's like it's a foreign concept. It feels strange. It's unsure. But certainly, as a psychological experience, we can notice that we can go through that that cycle many times in a day. We can be incredibly happy, and then we can be lonely, we can be forgetful, we can feel angry and feel jealous, we can feel an insatiable craving for friendship or for something. So in the course of a day, we can move through the different realms of psychological states. So we can get an intuition of what that is about from that perspective. And so what the Buddha is saying is, is that he's not wanting us to hang out in any one of those states and take refuge in that. Okay? He's creating a system of teaching so that rather than hang on to anything, we let go completely. We let go completely. And in letting go completely, we can experience a completely different level of happiness than the kind of happiness that has the kind of happiness that we get when we get what we want and when we get rid of what we don't want. So one of the kingpins, the linchpin, the, 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 the thing that holds this whole thing in place is craving. And so when we understand craving, then we can begin to start dismantling this whole tendency to try and grasp, to try and hold, to try and push, and even that tendency to, to numb out, to space out, to get distracted when what we're experiencing is something that is neither particularly pleasant or unpleasant. It doesn't register. We can't locate ourselves, so it's not worth paying attention to. And so, you know, last week when we were here, we were discovering that, you know, a large portion of our life experience is neutral. And so if we're distracting or spacing out or hungering for something that's intensely pleasurable or even sometimes we can crave for things which are unpleasurable because it's, we can locate ourselves in a battle. We can't locate ourselves in neutral. You know, there's no contrast. There's no register. There's no me that stands up and stands out as being the one, the person, the thing that is... Ex- I, am, I am not illuminated when things are just neutral. And so we can watch how this operates and how our movement towards something which is intensely pleasure and intensely pleasure, displeasurable can often just be a reactivity towards not having the skill to be with what's neutral. So our job 
as contemplatives, as meditators, as people who are interested in waking up, as people who are interested in understanding suffering and the end of suffering, is to start really getting curious about craving. You know, how do we experience it? Where in our bodies do we experience it? What happens when we experience it? Because when we are not trained, when there's no stillness, when there is no reflection, when there's no contemplation, when there's no capacity to watch the way our attention is directed, then what happens is is, is that we are just a slave to our cravings. We're not making choices. We're just being pulled and pushed by our hunger to have things and our desire not to have things, and it's not coming from choice. It's coming from craving, which is very different. So fear is a really important thing to watch because what we can notice is is that even more powerful than our desire is our fear. It's so deep. It's so deep. You know, the the fear of being shamed, the fear of being humiliated, the fear of being abandoned, the fear of getting old, the fear of getting sick, the fear of dying, the fear of being alone, you know, the fear of not having enough, the fear... That's right, that's right. And so when we understand our fear then that also is a way to begin to see that even underneath this first layer, which is for many of us easier to see, is this other layer. And so as we work more with this whole cycle, we can begin to see, well, how is it that fear comes into being? And how is it that we can practice with fear? And where is it that we can begin focusing our attention so that this stuff starts breaking apart and we actually have choice, you know? We have choice because we can watch a habit arise, we can watch a craving arise, but we're watching it. We're not being hijacked by it. And so when we're watching something, there's space around it. When there's space around it, there isn't the absolute uh, imperative to just move forward with it and to engage. We've got choice. And when we're hijacked, we don't have choice. We just simply don't have choice. So I wanted to speak about craving, and so I started with a quote, and let me see if I can find it again. That quote, By being nothing, you are everything. By wanting nothing, you are eternally full of grace. By being nothing, you are everything. By wanting nothing, you are eternally full of grace. This is by Adi Ashanti, a contemporary teacher. And so in this sense of letting go completely, this is, you know, when we let go completely, then there is something that happens that brings about a deep and complete sense of... of, uh, Peace. Now, Ajahn Chah, the forest meditation master, who's the grandmaster of the tradition that I originally ordained into, he said it very simply. He said, if you let go a little, you'll have a little bit of peace. If you let go a lot, you'll have complete little. You'll have a lot of peace. 
And if you let go completely, you'll have complete peace. So when we're letting go a little, for me, the letting go a little is really looking at the kinds of behaviors that we have that tend to move in the direction of causing confusion and harm. It's the movement towards hurting or harming, or it's the speech which is shaming or belittling. It's the ways that we think about ourselves that are shaming and belittling. It's the, you know, the taking of things that is not ours. It's the, it's the movement away from integrity. And so when we let go of little, we're able to live with integrity. For me, letting go a lot is really the, the movement towards understanding our emotional reactivity. It's what you spoke about with the fear. It's understanding our activation. It's understanding our hungers to belong. It's understanding the kind of the, 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 the deep sense of dis-ease we get when we feel triggered. So when we let go a lot, we're touching into this whole world of our emotional triggers, unpacking it, unreleasing it, so that we can also watch them without being hijacked completely. But we can still do that and still think that I am doing it. I exist as an independent, separate person that's doing it. I'm the one that's practicing. I'm the one that's engaging with this. I'm the one that's doing it. And when we let go completely, we let go even of that view that I exist in this world separate from the web of conditions that's arising. Because those words otherwise are very difficult to define. Letting go. You know, with the example you give, then it makes more sense. Let it go of what? Of attachment, of desire, of wanting? Let it go of my ego, let it go, you know, let it go. It's just like, then we get exactly how do you let go. Yes, and so so the how we let go is then the next bit. This is what we start to practice, you know, is actually we take it up and we begin to start practicing it. So the craving then is a big important part of of our experience. And the Buddha talks about craving in three different ways. He talks about the craving for sense pleasures, the craving of the world of sensuality, craving sights, craving a coffee, craving warmth, craving a snowplow, craving... <laughs> because the word craving means not just, it's like a lot, it's not moderation. The craving is a very strong desire. Right? So there's craving for sense pleasures. There's craving for becoming, for being someone. And there's craving for non-becoming. It's the craving not to feel, not to show up, not to know, not to want to know, not to want to be here. And sometimes, you know, when we have a conflict that arises, craving for escape, like something comes up and you need to talk to somebody and it's a difficult conversation and you don't want to do it. You know, it's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be here. I don't want to show up. I just, you know, get me out of here. It's the get me out of here feeling is the craving for non-becoming. Yeah. And so in our world, we navigate between these different kinds of cravings. The craving for wanting stuff, 
the craving for wanting to be somebody, want to be somebody important, want to be seen, want to be heard, want to be validated. And the craving to not want to know, not want to feel, not want to have to engage, not want to have to show up. Yeah, but there is craving for knowledge. It's not always negative. Those are three examples you can crave for enlightenment. So there's craving which is different from chanda, which is aspiration. And aspiration is what you're talking about, Mindy. It's the positive qualities of wanting to bring together that which is wholesome so that we can move forward out of desire. Because you need a certain amount of... You need, you need to have desire to shovel the driveway for two and a half hours. That's not coming from no desire. There's a strong desire. I want to get there. It's really important to me, even if it takes that amount of effort that's not not desire, but that desire is connected to an aspiration, and that aspiration is about waking up. It's not about entanglement. It's not about having more suffering. It's about getting the tools so that there's less suffering. And so there's a difference in the languaging between what craving is about and what aspiration is about. And initially, they come. it feels like they're together. We have to start with the desire to be free from suffering in order to show up and practice, in order to have the tools, in order to understand what the end of suffering is. Okay. So, that's the beginning of craving. And when I was, and then so we'll, I'll stop here for my part of it, and then we'll break up and we'll do some exercises together.